You're listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Welcome to MND Matters, a podcast by the MND Association, sponsored by Toyota GB and Toyota Financial Services. I'm your host, Helen, and today we have a truly special episode in store for you. We are honoured to have two remarkable individuals join us who embody the compassion, resilience and dedication to the fight against motor neuron disease. Our first guest needs little introduction. He's an Academy Award winning actor and patron of the M&D Association. Known for his incredible performance as Professor Stephen Hawking in The Theory of Everything, please join me in welcoming the brilliant Eddie Redmayne. Today we have the privilege of listening to Eddie as he interviews Leslie delving into her inspiring journey as a volunteer and the invaluable role she plays in supporting individuals and families affected by MND. Throughout this conversation, we'll gain insight into the challenges, triumphs and profound impact Leslie has experienced during her 20 year journey, while also exploring the importance of volunteers. I have no doubt that you're going to feel incredibly moved, inspired and enlightened by Leslie. So if you want to start your own MD volunteering journey, please visit www.mndassociation.org forward slash volunteering. We've also put that link in the show notes. So without further ado, let's dive into this captivating conversation between Eddie and Leslie right here on the MD Matters podcast. Eddie and Leslie, the stage is yours. Hello, Leslie. Hi. Hi. It's so lovely to meet you. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Leslie, what a treat to meet you. I, um, you have been volunteering for the MND Association for 20 years, I've heard, which is an astonishing thing. And it is such a treat for me to get to meet you um, to, as a patron of the MND Association to say such a huge thank you and to, and to as a way of celebrating Global MND Awareness Day and all the work that yourself and so many volunteers do. But I was wondering how it started for you. How did you, how did you start working with the MND Association? Um, well, um, I was an occupational therapist working for the NHS and I'd, um, I was working in end of life care. And I was always really impressed at how the MND Association supported us with the patients that we treated and um, I just felt I wanted to give a bit back really and I just felt the role of the volunteer would enhance my role as an OT and that my OT role could feed into my role as a volunteer as well. So that's how I started. Um, it doesn't seem like 20 years and I, I feel I'm sitting here today representing all the volunteers that the MND Association have got because they're such a fantastic association at supporting us as well once we are volunteering. Um, I mean, I think historically volunteers aren't a, an easy bunch to manage, but I think because of the training that, and the support that we get from the association, um, I think they do keep their volunteers. Um, yeah. And can I ask also, because am I right in thinking you've, you volunteer in different capacities? Um, yeah. Could you tell me about those different those different thing, the different aspects of the association that you you sort of help with, I suppose? Well, I started off as an association visitor, 
Um, yeah. So we we had um, people living with MND that were identified to us by the um, area area co coordinators. In the early days, it was it could be support, sort of emotional support, and we used to be quite practical. I, I you know there were people I used to visit that I used to help feed, or um, I used to push out in a wheelchair. That that's changed somewhat now, and then. Um, I had a bereavement myself and I stepped back from volunteering and then it was suggested that perhaps I help on the helpline, the Connect helpline. So I've been doing that now for about 10 years, I think. Um, so I do both now and I, I just feel I'm, it's, it, it's not a lot of time. It's a couple of um, evenings a month um, yeah. for the helpline. The association visitor, you can... I'm supporting three people at the moment, but that might be monthly, it might be weekly, it, it varies. And can you tell me a bit about the helpline? So, so what does that involve? Um, well, we log on at seven o'clock in the evening. The, the line is closed, I think, from five till seven. The, the day staff go off at five. We come on at seven and then we're on till 1030. Um, and uh, we log on to, we can use our own mobiles or our own um, landlines. Numbers are anon anonymous when they, they phone through. So we, we, you know, we don't, we can't pick, call people back. And it varies as to who you get phoning. The very first call I took, in fact, was from um, America. Um, I learned a lot from him actually about what facilities were over there. But the, the night calls can be very different. I mean, more recently, obviously, with the raised awareness, um, we do get calls off people who um, probably wouldn't have been aware of MND a few years ago, but now are identifying that perhaps they've got symptoms and they're quite concerned. And because the um, diagnosis process is so lengthy, um, they're waiting for test results and, and they just need somebody to talk to really on the phone and somebody to listen or somebody to signpost again. Um, or we can refer to the office staff the following day if we feel that we can't um, address what they're phoning about. We can then um, get the office staff the following day to address that. I had a phone call once off a guy who was very concerned about his father's breathing. And obviously that's an emergency situation. So it's directing them to what they, whether they've got anybody to contact, any medical mm. support. And, and so it can be a variety of different calls at night. I suppose one of the things I was curious about, I've been working with the Motor Neuron Disease Association uh, for about 10 years now since I, uh, I um, made the Theory of Everything, which is what yeah, introduced me yeah. to MND um, and, and the community. You've been working with the MND Association for 20 years. How would you say things have changed as far as um, the disease, the awareness, and, and I suppose the support in that time? Um, well, I think awareness obviously has changed. I mean, it's it's on the news constantly with Rob Burrow and um, Kevin Sinfield and yourself and the film. Um, so I think the awareness is it's much. People have heard about it now, and um, it's not just end of life either. Now it's you know I, I've got friends who are still working who you know pe people are referred to rehabilitation services now, not just end of life services. Um, I think the research side of it obviously is really important and I, I just feel that probably having an army of volunteers like myself, um, we help mitigate some of the costs that go to the support, although there are still a lot of costs that go to support, so that that can be freed up for the research, which, you know, that's what we're all striving for, a world without MND. I, I, one of the things that I was 
also curious about was individual people. Uh, you, you, it's such an intimate job you do uh, with people at such a vulnerable moment in their lives and the families coping with, with so much. I, I imagine you've met extraordinary people o over the years and families and I, I wondered if, if there are any anyone specifically that you, you, you hold fond memories of or that you're working with now. I think they're all extraordinary. I mean, I just, I don't know what it is about MND, but people who are living with MND seem so resilient. Um, yeah. And I, I think as an occupational therapist, um, it was quite a rewarding role because, you know, there's, there's such a lot you can do with technology now and, and maintaining independence. And probably things that I was going into 20 years ago, like there, there was one lady I used to remember, and I used to spend an hour with her just adjusting her pillow because she was uncomfortable. And, um, you know, he, I, I went to her funeral and even at her funeral, there was this joke amongst the relatives that whoever visited her spent the whole time adjusting her pillows. You know, and, and technology now, you know, hopefully that could be addressed and she wasn't just having to wait for that hour that we went. Um, I had a gentleman ring me recently on the helpline and... Um, He'd just been diagnosed. He was, um, I think he was probably about 50, got young children. And um, he, he just talked to me for probably about half an hour about how he felt, how he was going to tell the children. And then he thanked me and said he was sure I'd got something better to do in the evening than listen to him. And that stayed with me, really. I mean, you know, to think that he was thinking about me when it was all about him, really, and what he was going through and the journey that we, he was having to you know, travel. It's extraordinary. There's a, it's, no, it's an astonishing thing to, and a privilege, I suppose, to bear witness to people with, yeah. with and, and families with, with, with such courage. I, um, I met a, a man called Glenn Phillips when I was, uh, when I was preparing to do Theory of Everything, I went to the Queen's Square Neurology Clinic, um, uh, and spent time meeting, was introduced to families, and, and there were many extraordinary people that I met, but I, I will never forget Glenn, who was, um, he was uh, sort of academic in film, and he just had um, such a vibrancy to him, and a kind, and, and an overwhelming courage at, this, at a moment. But when you're volunteering and speaking to people and families, who, as you say, can be so resilient and strong, but there, is, there, um, is there a cost to you when you come home? Like, how, how, how do you look after yourself, I suppose? I think I find it harder now that I've retired. Obviously, when I was at work, although you didn't speak about people because of um, confidentiality, you have got the support from a, a team. Um, now that I've retired, it's probably more difficult. But we're, there's, there's about 12 or 14 of us who work on the helpline, and I think it's the helpline probably that's more difficult because you can, you can finish a shift at 10.30 at night and there's nobody to talk to, really. Yeah. We do have a reflection sheet, and if I find that I've had a really difficult call, I will write down my thoughts on that. And we can always phone the Connect Support staff the following day. Um, up until COVID, we were meeting regularly, and we all know each other quite well. 
Um, we've got a WhatsApp that we use for operational stuff if we need to swap a shift or we're having technical issues and we can't get on onto the phone. Um, obviously, we don't exchange um, details about people that we've spoken to, but we know that we've got a phone number there if we did need somebody to speak to about something. Gosh, it's so amazing hearing also what you were saying about the changes and shifts in technologies, uh, certainly even since I've been working with the M&D Association. But I remember when I was spending time with Stephen Hawking and, and his family, you know, he had had one technology for, uh, for communicating uh, that involved, he had his glasses with a um, sensor on his glasses and it was just the alphabet and, and, and this cursor going across the alphabet and whenever he uh, moved this eye, it would stop on one letter and, and it took so long for him to um, communicate things. But Dell were working with him, creating a new technology that uh, that would stay ahead of the disease. And, and I found that idea of, you know, from my experience of people living with motor neuron disease, because time is such a complicated thing, you're always having to stay ahead of the disease. And it's interesting now that technology, you know, one of the great things about, about furthering technology and investment in that and, uh, is, is those things that can be useful. Um, but what's complicated, I saw with that, is you get used to your one way of doing something and then you've got to relearn another, another new technique. I think an example of that is voice banking, isn't it? There was no voice yeah. banking, you know, yeah. a few years ago. And, um, and, and people, people that I've visited and, and supported, you know, they'll, they'll have voice messages on a phone that they don't want to get rid of. But the voice banking has, has brought a whole new perspective to all that. Um, you know, when that person's not around anymore, they've still got the voice. Yeah, I know. It is so lovely to meet you. Oh, well, I th it's lovely I, for me to meet you as well. No, I don't know about that. It's such a, <laughs> but it's a real honour and 20 years um, working with this brilliant association and with extraordinary people living in extraordinary circumstances. It's, it's a really admirable and, and, and an astonishing thing and um, and bravo on it. Well thank you, thank you. I feel I'm representing all of us though today. I'm just the, the lucky one that was chosen to talk to you. And talk I, to me. I mean I, I think like we, we I think we need to thank you as well because you know you do such a lot for the MND Association. I I did a bit of background reading and uh, I think it's amazing what you've done as well. So I think we should be thanking you as well. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I mean I remember it's so much interestingly for me about about awareness, and I agree with you, like that, that has shifted and changed. Certainly, I remember when, just after Theory of Everything, there was also the, the ice bucket challenge moment, and there was, but, but, but it's about retaining that awareness, because um, I think for you and me, it feels like that was only yesterday, but actually the sort of, the uh, years do move on, but the, the things that, it's about the understanding of the disease. I found it extraordinary that during COVID, people with motor neuron disease weren't on the like, most highly vulnerable list and didn't have access. And it was extraordinary. We got onto a, a parliamentary call on Zoom and I just couldn't believe that, that they weren't understanding that it was, this was a disease that shifts, can shift within days, weeks, you know, um, and so, but all of that felt about education, you know, if, and, and, it, and it was for me when I was prepping to play Stephen Hawking. But the, 
the more we can do to um, make people aware of what the reality of, of, of motor neuron disease is, I feel like is a good thing. But it's people like yourself and, as you say, all the other volunteers doing such amazing things for the MND Association that um, well, are making, making lives easier for people living with MND. Such a treat chatting with you and thank you for everything. Well, thank you as well. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Yeah, OK. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you. You've been listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Find more information at mndassociation.org. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, contact our helpline MND Connect on 0808 802 6262 or email mndconnect at mndassociation.org.